damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode nine of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, your boy, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Ben DiNucci, the Gooch. Man, I'm feeling myself today. I got big Javon Wims energy right now. I kind of got some Joe Mixon energy. You keep talking about the Cowboys. Uh, well, while I'm here, I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Demarcus, a.k.a. Neil with it, gone with it, a.k.a. Nigga Marcus. How you doing today? I'm doing okay. We're recording this a day after the election. We don't know who goes, who's going to be the next president. So I'm all good right now. How did you feel about Ben DiNucci's first NFL start? You want something good for the show or you want the truth? How about them boys? You know what I'm looking for. I don't think I watched any of that game. Damn, it's that bad? Well, I was also busy. I had, I had meetings. Mm, I hear you are called Cooper on the rush. I, I called had him to meetings. get him back I, down I in know. Dallas. I, I was busy. All right. I'm, that's the truth. You think Jerry Jones cut Poe because he kneeled for the national anthem? Uh, no, not at least not completely. There's a good amount of smoke that says there were some performance goals into written his contract, including his weight. At no point during this season had he met any of those goals. He had been playing pretty poorly. He's supposed to be a three technique defensive tackle. You know, um, a gap filler, that kind of thing helped stop the run. That had not been the case thus far this season. I think the kneeling didn't help him, but <laughs> his play on the field was enough justification to cut him. Fantastic. Last week, best of the least, you might have taken an L because Fly Eagles Fly flew the W on you boys. Just barely, which is embarrassing for them. Because we're on our third string quarterback. Do you still think the Cowboys can't possibly be bad enough to draft Trevor Lawrence? Why do you ask the same question every week? Because each week you all look worse and worse. We have more injuries every week. Also, okay. I would add I would add, even if they were, I think there's a good chance they just resign Dak and probably maybe trade Zeke. Ooh, are you on the Trey Zeke train now? Not that I'm on that train, but we can... Well, the offensive line is not there anymore. Zeke's not, right now, hitting the holes the way he was even before Dak went down. His numbers were down. Part of that's just like the offense is more heavily dependent upon Dak now. But Dak's also grown into the role. They've got lots of weapons for him. They've paid some of those weapons it's hard to have a premium pass offense and rush offense when you're paying a lot of these dudes 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars in guaranteed money. It's hard to have Dak on a brand new deal and Zeke on his deal and Coop on his deal and Gallup's going to want a deal, et cetera. And so you can probably find mid range running back for cheap money. Like dirt cheap money, if someone's serviceable, you put this line back together, you can still get them a thousand yards, etc. 
and just hope that with Dak, the weapons, and a slightly better defense, you have a chance next season. Yeah, Plus, you can probably get a good, decent back amount for Zeke. Okay. A I'm not like he eight. should be traded because he's one of my favorite players, but on paper, it makes a lot of sense. I don't think anybody wants to take that contract the way he keeps fumbling the ball right now. Uh, the fumbles can be worked on. We've seen other great running backs who had fumbling tr- uh, trouble work on into that from Adrian contract. Adrian Peterson had fumbling troubles into his second contract. Yes. And then stopped fumbling the ball. It decreased, but he still does it. Oh, that's my point. No one that's not careful with the ball all the way through their contract then magically becomes careful with the ball. Um, there have been running backs who've had fumbling problems even later in their career who were able to at least somewhat correct it or reduce the number of fumbles. I think Zeke can. It's a matter of coaching and desire. Okay. I hear the NFL floating a 16-game playoff. The NFC East already doesn't deserve one team in the playoffs. How are you feeling about this? It's good. Now, there are always going to be aberrations. A year here, a year there, once a decade. We're a team that's not really that good, wins their division, makes the playoffs, and maybe wins a game. We saw that with the 7-9 Seahawks, and I think that was 2011 or something like that, the year after the Saints won the Super Bowl, and they got beat up in Seattle. So I think even in cases where those teams on paper don't seem good enough, aren't good all season, they could surprise somebody in the playoffs. And that makes for excitement, that makes for good ratings, etc. Everybody roots for an underdog. So even if a bad team from the East makes the playoff, has to play Seattle, has to play whoever, I think it can still be an entertaining game and even possibly get an upset. Now, is it likely? Of course not. It's, that's why it's an upset. No, they'll get slaughtered on national TV for no reason. Seven times out of ten, you're probably right. But that happens that weekend anyways in at least one of those games. So let's make it four? No. I'm just saying the way the NFL wants to do the playoffs is fine. In most years, you're going to have a full slate of really competitive games on wildcard weekend. Every other year, every few years, you may have one or two games that are not that competitive. And that's okay. All right, all right. We have an exciting show for you all today. We are going to get into a crazy story about ex-Browns wide receiver Terrell Pryor. Talk about all the changes that happened in the NBA this offseason to coaches, staff, and let you know if we think they are cash moves or trash moves. We're going to get into the marquee matchups in the NFL this week and give out our toilet bowl award for week nine. And we're going to talk about what's the fly route for CP3's landing spot this NBA season. Welcome to the tee off. This is how we like to start our show off. We like to spill some tea on the crazy things some of our favorite athletes get into. 
This week's tee off is for my fantasy heads and any fans that we could possibly have in Cleveland. Because they're the only ones who really remember who this guy is. Terrell Pryor. He spent eight seasons in the NFL. Started off as a quarterback and switched to wide receiver later on. Fantasy heads might remember him from the 2016 season. He was a receiver for the Cleveland Browns. Unknown, went nuts. Had 77 catches, over 1,000 yards on the season. After that season, however, he bounced around. He played with the football team for a year, the Jets for a year, and then had a one-year contract with the Bills when we got to this unfortunate incident that put him on on IR and eventually led to him being cut because he was unable to play. Now, in 2019, Pryor was involved in a domestic assault dispute with his then-girlfriend, Shalia Briston, who stabbed him to the point where he was critically injured, required surgery, and literally, not figuratively, literally almost died. Now, that's a lot, so I'm going to back up, give you all some background information. You know, one brisk night in Pittsburgh, Pryor and his girlfriend, Shalia, went out to dinner with two of her friends. And during the dinner, Pryor and Briston were getting into some arguments. There was some beef. And nigga, you know that's the worst. You ever had to go out to an event with your girl's stank-ass hoe friends? And now your girl and you getting into it. These bitches got an opinion, so they got something to say at the table. Now you hot because you being ganged up on. You're projecting that onto me. That sounds like something you've done. What? I can think of a few instances. What? Don't don't act brand new. Instances where you were present, DeMarcus? I was not present, but have more than a few witnesses. But not me. Oh, it involves you. But I wasn't the witness? No. Why would you snitch on yourself? Yeah, I wouldn't trust them niggas. Niggas be lying. Listen, you the liar. About what? All these times where you had to go out with your girlfriend and her stank friends and something happened? Nah. Or more. See, this is different. See, actually, you know what? If I go any further, I'm going to reveal real details. So let's just move on. I'm kind of interested in who you're talking about, because most of the time, if I don't really fuck with people, you can't find me out with them, nigga. It was so, at a bar. I'd be at a lot of bar. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, you want to move on, don't you? No, not really. Because, <laughs> like, I'd be getting into a lot of shit at bars. So, like, it's at a bar, just in adds alcohol to the story, which... I, I think in this instance, good. you were walking into the bar. You had not yet made it in the bar to get any alcohol. If that reminds you of what I'm talking about. Oh, well, then I wasn't there. So this is not an actable situation. <laughs> You're going with the I wasn't there? Well, it sounds like I literally wasn't there. Oh, man. I don't be. That's why I was confused. Because I don't really be at places with niggas I don't fuck with. Just like personal preference. You know what? But we will digress. We will. Not. 
interestingly enough that you wanted to bring up the bar, DeMarcus, because after dinner, they all wanted to go to clubs for drinks, but they started arguing again. So all the girls went to the club without him. Because, you know, the one thing we really need to add to any hot situation is some liquor. Well, besides that, you let your girl and her friends go to the club while they mad at you? Nothing <laughs> comes from that. Nothing. <laughs> Look, that's, that's actually a great segue. Because eventually, all three women got back to the apartment where Pryor's staying. And according to them, he was waiting for them in the hallway. What? But... but Nigga, crazy thing is because the domestic dispute was reported by neighbors and the people that reported it said this dispute started around 4.15 a.m. Okay, rewind real quick. Based on what I just said, can you understand why he might be waiting in the hallway at 4 a.m. for her to come back? Yes, I can. But some women would not have come back to his apartment. They would have been in a ended up somewhere else now look nigga that is very fair but if your girl goes to the club with her friends after fighting with you and doesn't show back up to 4 a.m nigga and she's with these bitches ain't no way this is gonna go well for anybody involved hold up everywhere i've ever been and i could be wrong about this the bar or most clubs come about 2 a.m. Is that that's normal, right? I don't know how they begin down in Pittsburgh. If it is 2 a.m., what did they do for two hours? Maybe they got food. Little Waffle House? Honestly, I would not be surprised by that. Like, if you end up at the club all the way to 2 a.m., your ass is probably hungry. Oh, absolutely. You starving. <laughs> so... Look, apparently they get into an argument. Who could have seen this one coming? (laughs) And apparently they start getting into a quote unquote tussle. And during this tussle, she grabs a knife, stabs him in the chest and the shoulder multiple times to the point where he was practically bleeding out. According to Briston and her friends, he was the aggressor. However, it's interesting because his lawyer said they came into the apartment drunk as fuck, being vulgar, being angry. He said, y'all need to leave. Her friends forced their way into the apartment, which then caused a full out argument. It makes a lot of sense. His version. I believe what I was saying. It's not like I'm just taking the guy's side, but. Why would he pick a fight when there were three of them there at 4 4 in the morning coming from the club for drinks? It sounds much more likely that they could come home. Number one, already be or still upset and fuming. They could be angry drunks. They probably drank all night to fuck that nigga. Yeah. And he comes back still a little (laughs) pissed off that, you know, his girl was out till 4 a.m. at the club. She's drunk, friends are aggressive, vulgar, he wants to talk to his girl and or just get her to sleep. Or get niggas out his house at 4 And so he, he's like, can y'all get out? She needs to give some water, go to sleep, you know, or we need to talk. 
not be the aggressor? Why would and this is gonna sound wrong, but if he's the kind of man who hits women, I'm gonna guess he doesn't do it when there are three women there. He waits till they leave anyways. Yeah, because them niggas usually be mad pussy. Oh, absolutely. I feel you. Now, this is crazy because all the information from inside parties that the police have only came from the two bitches she was with, which is why I tell you, be careful who you do your dirt with. Pryor refused to even identify the two women that functionally broke into his home. Shalia Briston said she didn't see nothing. Or know nothing. How the fuck you almost stab a nigga to death and not see or know shit? I mean, she's from the streets. She <laughs> ain't see nothing. She ain't hear nothing. Who is the police? Uh, them niggas kept it G as fuck. Now, the officers that responded on the scene said that the apartment was left open. They could literally see a blood trail going from the apartment all the way to the elevator, and the elevator was covered in blood. Apparently, the women rushed him to the hospital, got him treatment. He had to go through surgery, was in critical condition for a while, but ended up being okay. The Pittsburgh police charged her with attempted homicide and aggravated assault and charged him with simple assault. I'm with it. So. For this reason. So, you know, I likes to read. You don't always like to read, but I like to read. You ain't wrong. We got a nice professor friend who writes all about how black women being abusive to black men is underreported. I don't know. Maybe that's a thing. But I'm going to assume if she had just hit him, he doesn't say anything. Yo, she was smiling. She was grinning in her mugshot. Like, she looked. Guilty and unapologetic. <laughs> exactly. It could be. What if this entire time he was being abused? I feel like. Because if you're bold enough to stab somebody multiple times, that's not the first time you put hands on them. With two witnesses. Right. And apparently one of the officers overheard one of the women she showed up to the hospital with say, and I quote, she was just defending herself and had to do it. We only here to make sure that he didn't die. We should have just let him die. So here's the thing. In most jurisdictions, even if you claim self-defense, there's a proportionality to it. So even if someone is attacking you, hitting you, there is some risk for grave bodily injury or death, but it's certainly minimal. He's not attacking you with any weapon, a knife, a gun, a hammer, nothing. So even if what she said was true, the force she responded with was not proportional. Now, in interest of giving all the details, you know, they saw that she had two broken fingernails and a bruise on her nose. Those were any injuries the police were able to document from the situation Pryor's lawyer was like, my client is like 6'4 and an NFL player. Exactly. He did not try to hurt this girl 
if she just has two broken fingernails and a bruise on her nose after almost stabbing him to death. But we weren't there. I mean, I'm not omniscient. Nigga Damas might know. He knows. <laughs> now, this happened all the way back in 2019. So you might be wondering, why are we talking about it now? So recently, as recent as last week, Terrell Pryor and his now ex-girlfriend were sentenced to probation from this incident. The court records show that they both copped a plea. He plead down to misdemeanor assault and harassment and got 90 days probation. She plead down to simple assault and got two years probation. Neither of them got any jail time. He was like, just let her out. I want to be done with this. Trying to make his NFL comeback has gotten no cause that I can hear of. I mean, first, she got off light. Like a slap on the wrist. Yeah, two she years of probation for almost killing a nigga. Now, so two things. I both understand wanting him to be done with it so that it gets out of the media and he has a shot to come back to the NFL. And also, like I talked about, many victims of domestic violence are sympathetic to their abuser. Yeah. That's I'm just facts. connecting the dots. That's facts. I could see why no NFL team would want him. If you were already out of the league and then have this kind of drama, I'm not touching you with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tougher than it is for Earl Thomas. Yeah, he's still good. Yeah, Terrell only had that one season. I guess she teed off on Terrell. <laughs> Let's get into... The NBA season right now, the rumored date, the NBA wants to start at December 22nd. We're getting a lot of player pushback. Danny Green said some vets won't play. Bron said he's going to be cherry picking all the way to the all-star break practically. How are you feeling about this start date? Well, Nick Adamas is here to report. I don't think they'll start on that date. I think the Players Association will push back, say, for a couple of teams at least. The season just ended. They would like some more time to do free agency, contract extensions, negotiations, etc. That always works out in favor of the players. Now, the one downside is, is a caveat of NBA contracts. And that is, even in normal years, the NBA will keep a part of every NBA player's salary in escrow. And they usually keep about 10%. And that's always tied to how the league revenue will be at the end of the year. So that depends on if TB money goes up, how is the revenue from the stadiums, ticket sales, concessions, jerseys, etc. The story right now is that next NBA season, the escrow could be 40% of a player's guaranteed money next or next season. So for the players at the top, that's not a lot of money. That's why the stars wouldn't play. But for the players in the bottom half of the league, as far as salary goes, they want all those games. Because even if they play those games with no fans, even if it's a full schedule, they're losing out on 40% of their money. So if you thought you were making a million and a half after the 40% escrow, taxes, your agent, etc., 
you may be making like 450, 500,000. But it's a stars game. The stars will push back, say we don't want to do it until January. I hear that the NBA is giving them no room because this is the only way to have a 72 season game, get the TV rights they want, and not overlap with the Olympics, most importantly. They're stating that like a later start could cost the league another billion dollars. So here's the real thing. Starting in late December, obviously good. I can have something to do over winter break and watch some Christmas basketball. But the big caveat is, is there even going to be an Olympics next year? Like, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. There's no end in sight. Numbers are surging this fall all around the world. Europe is instituting new lockdowns. Even if we have a virus or a treatment, can you see athletes from 130 plus countries gathering somewhere? Money make you do it. So money can make leagues within countries happen, sure. But the amount of international travel needed for the Olympics? Well, I guess if COVID's everywhere, you just, you know, keep it moving. But People still seem at this, this point that they're trying to prevent the spread from country to country for countries who've got it under control. So my question is, even if we have an Olympics next season, do the star players want to leave the country, endanger themselves, possibly get COVID, and then risk their health for the 2022 NBA season? Okay. If we're saying the Olympics are not part of it, Teams are really gearing up for this oncoming season with some turmoil and some changes. Let's get into the coaching moves that have been made this offseason. We're going to play a game that we call Trash or Cash. All right, Demarcus, I'm going to throw the soft one at you first. LA Clippers choosing Ty Lue. Oh, this might as well be a lob. This is, this is the right pick. This is cash. Cash money. Like Lil Wayne in 2000. This pick is taking over for the 9-9 and the 2000s? Absolutely. So the Clippers were on the cusp of making it to the Western Conference Finals this past season. They lost in a tough seven-game series to the Nuggets. They blew a 3-1 lead. Listen, I'm taking a little bit of you know, journalistic, you know, wordplay. Let me let me tell my story. I can be your journalistic integrity, DeMarcus. Don't worry. I have integrity. I'm a humble, <laughs> deeply serious man who studies these things. All right, get your shit off. Look, it's my turn. It's my turn. This is a great pick. Ty Lue has had a track record of dealing with superstars, both When he played for the Lakers, he saw what Phil Jackson did. He coached LeBron, Kyrie, Kevin Love in Cleveland for like, was that a season and a half? And then, of course, the LeBron, Kevin Love, bunch of pieces year, his last year in Cleveland. So he's got experience coaching stars, which we need to do with Kawhi and Paul George. He was in this locker room already for a year, probably has decent relationships with both of those players. I don't know if that's a good thing. I think it is. I think 
his experience from tinkering with lineups from his last year with the Cavs will be very helpful to this Clippers team that's going to have to retool their roster this summer to really be competitive in the West. I think this is a great pick. Cash money. All right. Let's move on. Nate Bjorken for the Indiana Pacers. So I'm leaning towards trash. So this team... Yeah. Yeah. This team looked really promising at the end of last season, even without Victor Oladipo. Once he came back and they were in the bubble, they had these breakout games from what's his name? TJ Warren? Yes, indeed. Just out of nowhere, just dropping 50. You're like, who? He got cornrows. But I digress. Kawhi. (laughs) (laughs) Poor man's Kawhi. But. He balled out for a little while, came back to earth, looked solid. The team played really well together. Oladipo is obviously a young talent who will come back, be very good. I thought they could have got someone else with a little bit more experience. The East is not unwinnable. They need peace here, peace there, some good coaching. And they could be deep in the playoffs again next year. And so it's not that he's necessarily bad that there were better options available to the Pacers that they could have had and they chose not to go that direction. All right. Steve Nash for the Brooklyn Nets. Oh, this is so good. Cash. As one of the NFL's greatest receivers, Randy Moss, once said, that's straight cash, homie. Listen. Steve Nash has a fantastic relationship with Kevin Durant as Steve Nash worked as a consultant for the Warriors for one year while Katie was there. It has been quoted many times that Kyrie Irving admires the way Steve Nash played when he was with the Suns. He's tried to incorporate parts of Steve Nash's game into his own game. I heard he don't think they have a coach. And, and... (laughs) Stop being like that. And I think that helps, right? And it puts Steve Nash in a position for both players who can be a bit stubborn to listen to him. I mean, KD had obvious problems with Steve Kerr last season. Kyrie's had problems with different people from Brad Stevens to uh, Ty Lue, etc. And so I think just on that front alone, it puts him in a great position. Okay. Now, the other thing is, I think he has an, a possibility. We don't know for sure because he hasn't coached before, but an innovative offensive mind. He's brought some good assistance along in Amari Stoudemire and Mike D'Antoni. I don't like that. Bringing your former coach on as your assistant and then telling me the coach who could never innovate past his first iteration of an offense on a team will then lead to some innovative outcome. So I'm not buying it. I think in particular, a lot of rosters are structured like this, where there'll be a young head coach and he'll bring in someone who's much older, much more experienced, not to run things as far as X's and O's, but to help on the leadership side of the team. At the very least, I believe Mike D'Antoni is capable of that. Most of his teams have not had major internal problems. They've had a some what any NBA team would have, but more importantly, I think D'Antoni did inv- uh, uh, evolve his offensive 
play calling as he went from the Suns to the Lakers to um, his last stop in Houston. I think he did different things with what Daryl Morey gave him. He showed that he can be flexible. He even showed he can coach defense. And, and, and so I think it's a good fit. I want to be clear that I'm not saying all of his teams had the same offense, but more importantly, each stop, Ole was able to play ball in one type of way. So that's true. But Six I think seconds or less. I think in particular, Nash's experience playing in so many different types of offenses will be the counterweight here, will be the balance. You know, Nash played in Dallas for a long time, but he was there under a couple of different head coaches in Dallas who had different offensive mentality. He obviously played for Mac D'Antoni. Was D'Antoni the coach when Nash went to the Lakers that one year with like Dwight Howard and Kobe? Does that year count? He barely touched the court. So, sure. But also, oh, I'll also add, Steve, uh, Steve Nash got to be around Steve Kerr and the Warriors in that offense, which is just, it's beautiful. It's, it's like watching art. Here comes the Warriors dick sucking. Oh, you know I'm right. Like, they just play such fundamental good basketball. It, it's hard not to appreciate. It's hard to hate. You know that's why they won. I'm just shook that you responded to me saying this is Warriors dick sucking by slobbering some more. Oh my god. Why you gotta be so vulgar? <laughs> and and why do you think dick sucking's bad? It's not that all dick sucking is bad. <laughs> However, this particular dick sucking can be bad. I don't know. The Warriors are pretty good. Dick sucking, undeserved. This is dick warranted. Sucking. Absolutely. Like, did you hear the story of how Steve Kerr came up with the Warriors offense at like an airport bore on our charcuterie board? That's Saying lit. Steve Kerr is great does not mean that. Okay, Steve okay, okay. Nash yes, but I'm able... saying Steve I get Nash. The first names are Steve of, Demarcus. Uh, that's not the point I'm making. <laughs> I'm saying Steve Nash had lots of stops in different places with different offensive philosophies, and he's had to have picked up a little bit from each place. Okay. That's my art. That's it. All right, we'll keep it moving. Tom Thibodeau for the New York Knicks. Hot trash. Ooh. He's not the right man for this team at this time. The Knicks are, quite frankly, rebuilding. Or have been rebuilding for... 40 years, 50 years. They had those like one season with Melo where they made the playoffs, I think. And that was it. Melo did some things. Melo could score the ball. But they ain't been good. And they certainly aren't right now. People don't want to play for them. People hate their owner. They've had problems with former players, etc. When I think of Tom Thibodeau, I think of him as obviously the coach of the Bulls. I think of him as being a really good defensive coach in the NBA who can help elevate a contender or someone who's hanging right outside the contender's door into a a championship contender. And the Knicks are nowhere near that. I think when you have a team this bad, you bring in a coach who's known for rebuilding or you bring in somebody young. I don't think Tibbs is either of those things. Okay. Am I wrong? Look, I am not pro-Tibbs in this situation. But for reasons that will be clear later on in this podcast, Cleveland Cavs going with J.B. 
Bickerstaff. Okay, okay, okay. I got something for you. This is cash, but the kind that jiggles, not the kind that folds. So no sound effect. Not that one. (laughs) So this is a good pick. Well, number one, I'm happy for JB. Relatively successful black coach. Had a chance to be an interim coach in Houston. Left, was, who's a coach somewhere for like a year and got fired. And now is getting another chance to be a head coach, which is very rare. So first off, good for him. Secondly, I think he's a good coach. The Cavs are at a weird place right now. They're not good. I mean, they're closer to being bad, but they are not like bottom of the barrel. They don't have a coherent roster. No. They're in the middle of something. <laughs> exactly what? I don't know. Obviously, they also have problems with their owner, Dan Gilbert, etc. But I think Bickerstaff has a pretty good offensive mind. I think he can try to help them put something together and at least develop some of the younger players they have. Who was our draft pick last year? Um, was it Darius Garland? No, no, that's not. That's I can't. Two years ago? I think so. They had a really high draft Colin pick. Colin Sexton? Yes. There we go. Sexton. I think he can help develop him as an offensive talent. I think he will have a good idea of the right moves to make to help rebuild this roster. I think that starts with getting rid of Kevin Love. Um, this is not Free a good K fit for Love. him right now. Not a good fit, and they're bad. Free K-Love. He, he can still service a championship kind of contender. I oh, think he still has 100%. that kind of talent left. Would you like to see K-Love on the Warriors? I don't know about that. <laughs> but what? That's not disrespect. It no disrespect like to it. K-Love. It sounds like It's just it. not what I have in mind. We have bigger aspirations. We think in Joel Embiid, Giannis. We'll see. You will get neither of them. Listen, let me have some hope. Okay? It's 2020. Looks like we're barely going to survive Trump. Let me have some hope about the Warriors. Warriors fans have literally had enough hope over the past half decade. No, that's just winning. We need hope now. No, those are the same things. You hope Mm, you win. We didn't hope we won. We knew we would win. Was rewarded. We knew we would win. I mean, come on. You ain't win last year. Okay. Obviously. Or the year before. Okay. Okay. Now listen. Uh, Okay. You've been a little disingenuous. We all know with KD and Clay, there ain't a chance in hell the Raptors beat the Warriors. That's like me saying with Caleb and oh, Kyrie, bullshit. there's not a chance in hell. Bullshit. The Warriors get there is that a first chance. title. Splash Bros is a Splash Bros. See, I mean, you are just such a big stand. But all right, it's DeMarcus. beautiful to watch as well. Like, got light skinned Steph Curry. You know what? You just got me talking about the Warriors and not even J.B. Biggerstaff and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's, let's move on. Let's get your pick on some new head coaches. All right. You ready? I'm ready. So the team that took a bunch of L's from the Warriors got a new head coach. The Houston Rockets hired Steven Silas, the former Mavericks assistant, as their new head coach. What you got? Cash or trash? This move is cash money. I really, really like this pick. New blood, someone who hasn't been a head coach before, someone that's going to be innovative 
and an offensive mind because that is the core of this team and any success they're going to have with someone like James Harden and Russell Westbrook on the same team. This is an offense that has been stagnant and falling into the same trap of there is only one way we can win and play basketball, which is something that is a unique problem D'Antoni faces in his stops, right? They're, we only shoot the three. We have no bigs. We have no centers. I think this is the person that can rebuild this offense, retool the idea of what it's going to be. I think a lot of people, after watching Jimmy Butler in the finals, are like, look, you can power down a team with the mid-range shot. Watching Kawhi over the last two years, you can do it, and we might be leaning too far into analytics. I think this is someone with the mind. A lot of people are giving him a lot of credit for the big offensive jump that the Mavericks took last year which is kind of how he got this job. Hallelujah. Facts, I'm with you. And I think this is a person that can definitely rebuild this team, especially if they start trying to add some depth over 6-7, i.e. a center that will actually play, not Tyson Chandler. And since they couldn't get Ty Lue, which was reportedly their first choice because he's, he signed with the Clippers and their other option that they were looking at, was Jeff Van Gundy, and don't get me fucking started there. I like this move for the Rockets. Okay. Now, how about Jeff's brother, Dan Van Gundy, and him taking the Pelicans job that should not have even been open? Look, this move, undeniably, to me, is trash. Throw it out. There is too much retread on these tires. If it blew out in Miami, it blew out in Orlando, and it blew out in Detroit, it's going to fucking blow out again. It's a bad tire. All those stops, no rings to show for it. All those stops, only one NBA Finals. A lot of missed playoff years. A lot of early exits. And the one NBA Finals he did get to, Dwight Howard was literally otherworldly. Now, I got to ask you about your team. The Bulls. And their hire of Billy Donovan. What do you have? This Billy Donovan move is cash. Originally, I wasn't too sure about it, but I think as Bulls fans, we need to let go of the dream that Garpack sold us of we were getting rid of Jimmy Butler to eventually compete for championships. That dream is no longer in the near term. It is most likely in the long term. And for that reason, Billy Donovan is a great pick because he's a guy who can elevate talent into stars. He's a guy that can process a player's strengths, their weaknesses, and put them into a better position to succeed. We are in a position where we have a lot of talent on our team that we need to know if they are 
next level players or if we need to rebuild slightly in other areas. Billy Donovan, KD became a star under him. Russell Westbrook became a star under him. James Harden was almost a sixth man of the year under him. We know he can work with bigs like Steven Adams, and we have young Wendell Carter Jr. that we're still trying to figure out. We know Zach Levine is a star. We got to figure out if Kobe White is our guy at the one. But most importantly, the Bulls were trying to accomplish a rebuilding of their brand and the way that they were seen across the league. And I think an established coach that players like, that stars like, no one has anything bad to say about Billy Donovan. He's worked with stars, KD, Russ, Harden, CP3. Players like him. He runs a tight ship. And that is the type of credibility that this Bulls team needs. All right. I'm with it. So now let's go east to the city of brotherly love where there ain't no love between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Can the doctor, Doc Rivers, fix it? I don't know if he has the remedy for that problem, but I do know this coaching pick is cash. Doc is a king. We all know about the chip with the Celtics. We all know that with stars, he can be great. With great point guards, he can elevate them. With great big men, he can elevate them. Tobias Harris's best season ever was under Doc. Now they've reunited. We know that this is going to be a Doc Rivers who's coming into a new situation, has a lot more rope because he knows. Look around. I'm it. If there's anything to get you feeling like you that nigga is when you got fired, you couldn't stay unemployed for 48 hours. Gotcha. But they need some shooting. I got a question. Does he bring in Austin Rivers? I don't think so. I think he saw how that played out on the Clippers that people felt that Austin Rivers was getting preferential treatment and shouldn't even be there because he was Doc's son, and then he went to the Rockets and proved that he's his own man. I think they do need shooters, which is why I love the move for Daryl Morey at President of Basketball Operations. It's a cash move for them. You have choices to make. Either you're going to be able to make it work with Simmons and Embiid in the next year or so, or you're going to have to move one of them. Or you're 100% going to have to move the Al Horford contract to make this team good. And if you're trying to make a deal in the NBA, Darren Morey is your guy to go to. Right? They also need shooters, which means they're going to need to do some rebuilding, some retooling of the rosters. Darren Morey has shown us that he can find shooters that weren't even on our radar. And that they can play that role in an offense. Which is why I think he is a great choice for them. I don't know what 
that means Elton Brand's position is they extended his contract for two years as the GM. I don't know, but I got another problem we got to talk about real quick before we finish up. So another team we've mentioned a few times that was not on our radar for this segment who don't have a head coach, the Oklahoma City Thunder. What are your thoughts? This is weird to me. The fact that they have not picked a coach yet is 100% trash. We're at a position where they're thinking about starting the NBA in less than two months, and they still haven't picked somebody. A lot of the great names that we were hearing that were already established coaches are starting to sign assistantships, right? We've seen Mike D'Antoni go to the Nets, Kenny Atchison go to the Clippers, Sam Cassell go from the Clippers to the 76ers with Doc. Who is it going to be? Look, I know our picks are still available. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think either of our picks are good fits. Obviously, I prefer mine, both because I think it's a good coaching pick and I think it's a groundbreaking thing that they could do and be the first team to hire a head coach who is a woman. But she's still available more than anything else and a good option. So they need to call her up. Now, if it were your pick, you said Mark Jackson, right? A hundred percent. That would make a lot of sense because even at the time we said that maybe they're waiting until Mark is out of the bubble to interview him. But the NBA finals ended weeks ago and they still don't have a coach. I haven't heard any particularly strong rumors about who they will hire. I hope it's one of those two. I think both Becky Hammond and Mark Jackson can be good fits for a team that's really young, but that could remain competitive for a little while here. We'll see, but this is trash. It's infuriating, and I don't like it. It is weird. We'll see what happens. I feel like they're going to have to start moving their pieces soon. CP3, possibly Steven Adams, and it would be beneficial to have a coach in the room before free agency starts. So the clock is definitely ticking. With an NBA season date pointed on the calendar, free agency coming up, a big name being shopped around a lot. We know the OKC Thunder are thinking about dealing. They want picks back, young players. They are trying to supercharge a rebuild, which let's talk about their white whale, Chris Paul. DeMarcus, what's the fly route? Real, real quick, that's kind of an ironic name for Chris Paul, a white whale. He's like a tiny black dude. <laughs> but anyways, I digress. So I do want to keep it 100 with our listeners and explain the Chris Paul situation in a little bit more depth before I get into what the fly route is. So currently, Chris Paul has one year left on his contract with the player opt-out clause. Now, next year, he will make $44 million, which, by the way, thank Daryl Morey for that. That's a whole other thing. But... Yeah. Tillman Fertitta did say that was the worst contract ever made in NBA history. Oh, that's a lie. That's obviously Al Horford. 
The owner said it. That's all I'm saying. He just cheat. That's everything I've heard about him. Okay. I, I've heard frittata is cheap. Yes, I know I said it wrong. That is on purpose. He's a frittata. He's cheap. He ran Daryl Morey out of town because he wanted to have him operate on a budget. Again, I digress. I think, very honestly, CP3 has said that he has no plans to opt out of his contract. Why would he? Last time I checked, the NBA and the Players Union were negotiating what the final date on the opt-out was. And I think they pushed it. We may be past it now. I'm not sure. But of course, he did not opt out, has no plans to opt out, and has said, quote, I don't control that. Sam Presti has been making this uh, year and Oklahoma amazing. Obviously, we'll see what happens this summer or whatnot. It's nice to be here and be close to my family. I think for me, I'm going to let everything play out, see what happens. But I'm in a good place. I wish we could have kept advancing in the playoffs, but I don't have no plans of opting out no time soon neither. So that was the last time we heard from Chris Paul about a month ago. He was on first take and said yeah, that. Yeah, nigga not going to opt out of $44 million. I know I sure would, and I wish I could opt into <laughs> $44 million. <laughs> but so he's in OKC. The only way this happens is a trade. And the rumored destination, the optimal destination, I think, are both the same place. It's La La Land with his buddy, his banana boat buddy, LeBron James. So obviously, CP3 and LeBron are longtime friends, came into the league around the same time. I think LeBron 03, CP3 was 05. Something like that. I could be wrong, but something like that. Think obviously everyone and they mama said the Lakers need a point guard. There is some risk they could lose Rondo. Even if they keep Rondo, there is a good amount of indication they need a playmaking point guard which cp3 still possesses the ability to do and they need someone who can hit some shots occasionally they lacked shooters even though they won the nba championship and cp3 can still shoot long as his hamstring ain't tight he gonna be there what it do be tight sometimes at the worst time of year but it do be tight sometimes it do be tight sometimes you are not lying so i think it's got to be LA. The Lakers trade for him. I don't know what they give up because I don't think the Lakers have much in the way of assets. And I have to think he has to renegotiate that contract. He, he doesn't want to. But if you're the Lakers, are you really going to probably pay AD the max, pay LeBron his whatever millions, X millions, it's a blank check, and then pay Chris Paul at age like 35, 44 million dollars? And somehow try to find a way to fill out the rest of this roster in a year where, yes, the NBA has the soft cap, but your revenue is way, way down. And the Lakers, I mean, the Bus family owns the Lakers, obviously, and they got some money. But among NBA owners, they broke. I mean, they not uh, Balmer on the other end of the stadium, who is the richest owner. They're not Mark Cuban, who has billions, etc. It's a family business in every sense of the word. And so I think the fly route, the best possible landing spot, both on relationships and X's and O's for Chris Paul is the Lakers. I just have a hard time logically figuring out how it happens. And that's why it's not the fly route. Everything you said in the beginning was right, DeMarcus. It has to be a trade. The contract terms are correct. 
which is why all the Twilight really popular scenarios, right? He goes to Milwaukee, he goes to Los Angeles are just not going to happen because they cannot send back the assets to make the salary match work without gutting the teams completely. The Lakers do not have the cap space keeping LeBron and AD because they don't really pay anybody else. They're going to have to send Danny Green, Caruso, Kuzma, and probably another player or two because a lot of their other players are on short-term deals that have opt-outs because they are trying to keep cap flexibility going into the big free agency year next season. Bucks, they'd have to give up Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, and probably two or three more players if they don't give up Middleton. It just wouldn't work, which is why the only other team that CP3, through his people, have leaked through the media that he is interested in is going to New York, if not L.A. The New York Knicks, prime time in the garden. This is a team who can give Sam Presti what he wants for CP3. Sam Presti said, I want young players and I want picks because we are not playing for now. We are playing for later. All the Knicks have are young players that were high draft picks because they've been consistently terrible and more picks because they are consistently terrible. This is a situation where you can give uh, Julius Randle or Bobby Portis with a Dennis Smith Jr. or a Knox and then some picks, sweeten up the deal, and Sam Presley comes running for it. They Apparently, we're interested last year, but we're gun shy because they weren't sure about CP3's health and his ability to still lead a team. That stock has fucking soared after this season and what he did in OKC. The Knicks need leadership and image. And this is where someone like CP3 helps. Someone that can be the ball general for a bunch of young, inexperienced, or so far have not been really successful NBA players, lead them, make them play hard. And it's the East, so they can easily become a playoff team just based off his leadership skills. However, with Tibbs being the coach for the Knicks, I don't want to see him break another great point guard. Hmm. I don't want to see him break Told another Hall of Fame point guard. Look, I'm just saying, I don't want to see it. But Chris Paul would fight that man before he broke him. It, I might not take all that much the way Tisby running players into the ground. You talked about that hamstring getting tight. <laughs> Tibbs going to be like, you fake it. <laughs> Hit him with the Kawhi. 20. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, the Knicks are the team because the Knicks have the deal that Sam Presti takes and also have the contracts that they can match. And those contracts aren't all super long-term, which really helps Presty going into the future. Let's get into the marquee matchups of week nine of the NFL season. Let's start with some AFC on AFC violence. The Baltimore Ravens 
versus the Indianapolis Colts. So there's a bit of history here. I don't know if our fans know, but the Colts used to be in Baltimore, literally ran out in the middle of the night on Baltimore. A whole other story. There's some history there, though. Uh, for this game, I think it's surprisingly a good game. At the beginning of this season, I would not have said the Ravens-Colts would be a marquee matchup this late in the season, but it is, and I got to take the Ravens. So Colts have been good. The Phillip Rivers experiments mostly working in Indianapolis. They've had some trouble keeping a running back healthy. They're down to like their second or third string running back at this point. Mac was injured very early on. What, in the like year. week one, week two? They got this new guy, Hines, who was it's like Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines was there last year. Um, but had a great week last week. But I don't see that happening against the Ravens. I think the Ravens' run defense stops them. I think Lamar Jackson uses this game to try to get back on track. I believe the Ravens are, what, five and two? Yeah, they took their second loss last week. They're five and two right now, but it's kind of a, a low five and two, a sagging five and two. And so they want to use this throughout the midway point of the season to get back on track for both Lamar Jackson and their offense and hopefully have a strong push through Thanksgiving and December. Because when you go into the playoffs, you want to come in on a winning streak. You want to come in going in the right direction. And right now they are not going in the right direction, but they have a lot of time to correct it. And I think they can do a good job throwing the ball, and playing good run defense against the Colts and come out with a good dub. Run defense is the exact reason why I'm taking the Colts. Baltimore looks like a ship on fire. You keep, you constantly talk shit about how terrible the Eagles are, right? Of course. They almost lost to the Eagles. Almost don't count. It, it says a lot. There are bad wins and there are good losses. That win against the Eagles was a bad win. Now, I think the Colts have this one as an upset this week, but I'm not sure it's actually an upset. With each and every single week, my faith in the Baltimore Ravens passing attack falls. When teams are rushing for, trying to contain Lamar in the pocket, and Forcing him to make throws in a crowded backfield. He has not been good. And we know this Colts defense is for real. Darius Leonard is for real. They have the second best pass rush in the league, which means they're going to be able to get at Lamar while not having to commit a ton of people to the box. We know. The Ravens aren't a team that play from behind very well. And this is a situation where Lamar is going to have to pass the ball to win against this team. Their run defense is great. Their front four are really good. And we have started to see the formula for how teams want to beat the Ravens. And each and every single time, the formula is proving to work. I have a lot of concerns. Because I think the Colts' defense is good enough to execute that formula. So, let's talk about another team that's starting to come back down to earth. Our 
next marquee matchup involves your hometown team who you can't stop rooting for. Bear down. Stop. Bear down. Stop. Bear down. So we got a game between the Bears and the Titans. Do the Bears want to tackle Derrick Henry? Yes. Yes. And they win because of it? Yes. I think this is a matchup that the Chicago Bears can take because both the Titans and the Bears are on a bit of a slide. However, the Bears are on a slide losing to teams like the Saints. Who who did the Titans take their second loss to? I don't, I don't remember. Oh, are you sure? Yeah, I got amnesia. Oh, are you very sure? I'm COVID positive. <laughs> I don't look, actually have COVID, but yeah, I'm sure I don't remember. Look, this is where I'm at. The Titans are not playing as tough of matchups than Steelers, and they are taking L's as well. I want to say the Titans had a defense that was feared last year. Their defense was feared. That is not the same defense that it is this year. We can tell because they started cutting some veterans from their defense because they couldn't even get trade capital back for them. This is in a market in which the Bengals got capital back for Carlos Dunlap. So here's what I'm saying. The Bears have been facing pretty strong pass rushes and Nick Foles has not had a lot of time to throw the ball. And there are two reasons why I think the Bears come out on top this week. The first is that Titans pass rush does not scare me. For the first time in a while, I think the Bears O-line will not be outmatched in an astronomical proportion. They'll still be outmatched, but not in such a wide margin that they usually are. And the second is there's been a lot of pressure on Matt Nagy to switch up some of his play calling, have some shorter, high-tempo, quick passes coming out. Because we just do not have enough time behind this line. And Nick Foles is not very mobile. And I think the combination of those two things and the fact that the Bears defense is far and away one of the best defenses in the NFL gives us a great chance to come out on top of a sliding Titans team. Okay. So first, I think you just made an argument for why Matt Nagy is not an offensive genius. If he's got to be told to come up with quick, short timing throws. But I digress. I see the Titans winning. This is another bounce back game for the Titans. They've had some trouble with the NFL and following COVID protocol. And the Bengals. They had some trouble with the Bengals. Which may have caused some locker room problems. And Three weeks later. Listen, it'd be like that sometimes. Okay. And so I think... Although the Bears have a good defense, I think in order to help neutralize the Bears' pass rush, the Titans will run the ball a lot. This also has the effect of keeping Nick Foles off the field, and the Titans have to hope that even though their defense is not feared as it once was, that they have enough there to force some three and outs or get some key kind of third down sacks against Nick Foles, who's not mobile and keep him either off the field or make sure that when he's on the field, they minimize their chance to score. 
And I think the Titans have a really good chance to win this game by playing a bit of keep away. So the Titans will go into this game with the very strategy that they go into every game with. Of course. Okay. That's clear. Let's move on to the next matchup. Seahawks versus the Buffalo Bills. So I think we can both agree. Russ for MVP. This game shouldn't be that close. Russ is going to tear them up. Let Russ cook. Yeah, I've told y'all last week, I think the Bills are pretenders. This defense isn't as scary as it was last year. They can't really intimidate any top 10 offense in the league. And Seattle is the top three offense in the league. Their offense wavers and it isn't consistent. We know Russ is on a mission. And we might actually get to see Carlos Dunlap, see what he adds to their defense on top of Jamal Adams coming back soon. Seattle, favorite three points at Buffalo. I'd take this for sure. Okay, so let's head down south now to the division with the oldest quarterbacks by far, and we have a matchup between the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where I think the combined quarterback age is like 80 or something. Who you got? I might be 83. Yeah, they old. Yeah. yeah. I got the Bucks. The Bucks are rolling, and they get Antonio Brown back this week. Mike Evans gets another week removed from that hamstring injury. We continue to see Gronk and Brady's relationship develop within that offense. Gay. I'm sorry. Keep going. Damn, I did I, I have said pause? No. What? You assume gay is bad? No, that's good. They they have a secret relationship. You know, they're bros. Okay, sure. Bros before hoes. I don't know why he would pick Gronk I mean, over honestly, Giselle, but... The way he has Antonio Brown living in his house with them accusations is clearly bros before hoes. <laughs> Obviously. Tom Brady's about getting a dub. <laughs> Look, wins before sins. Do you think I would let a rich, famous athlete who's been accused of sexual assault near my supermodel wife. If you're Tom Brady. I guess you're just that confident. You're like, listen, I got six rings. He's fucking Tom Brady. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Look, okay, okay, okay. He became Tom Brady after winning a bunch. At first, he looked like an average white dude. Look back at him on draft day in 2000. Look at him running the 40. Look at how he dressed. Average white dude. If you had seen Tom Brady on the streets even if you watch football before 2001, you wouldn't have known who he was. Now you're like, oh shit, that's Tom Brady. And now he, he eats has avocado ice cream. And now he has straight niggas wearing Uggs. DeMarcus. Whoa, 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 whoa. Ain't nothing wrong with some Uggs. I ain't say there was anything wrong. It don't with get Uggs. cold enough often, but when it do, I rock mine. Tom Brady effect. No, so no, no, no. He's no, no, no. clearly very he confident in himself as he should be. Confident in himself, yes, he had no influence on me. Okay, sure. I don't like him. He's a cheater. Look, wins before sins. That's the Patriot way. <laughs> I, that, I had not heard that. That's new. That's the Patriot way. Now, I think this Saints-Bucks game is my game for game of the week. We're still not sure Michael Thomas is going to play. This offense for the Bucks is huge. We get out Brady... Breeze matchup. It's a powder keg. And 
the Bucks are coming in hot after losing to the Saints week one. Okay, so here's the deal. I got to take the Saints. I think the Saints have been performing relatively well given their injuries and their offensive struggles at moments, but they do still find a way to put up points. Sean Payton and Drew Brees are smart enough to know what works. I think the advantage in this particular game is that both guys are old. Both guys don't throw the deep ball that much anymore. And Tom has been throwing it. His arm will give out. He's old. Is it going to give out this week? Yeah, calling it. Okay. Tom Brady falls is- off a cliff. <laughs> Actually, I'm not going to go that far because that obviously has not aged well for you-know-who from ESPN. But um, I think because of that, I don't think Tom will be forced to throw downfield because the Saints won't be doing it. It'll be a close game. Saints and Sean Payton pull out one late and I believe take the lead in the division. If they if they win this game, they effectively have the tiebreaker. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the Bucks are good, but there's so many new pieces that are still coming together. And the Saints, for the most part, have had a pretty cohesive coaching staff and offensive roster for a while now. I think they find a way to grind this one out and get the win late. I can't see it. I s- still don't even know if they get um, homeboy who came over from the 49ers, Emmanuel Sanders, coming oh, back yeah. from COVID. So they still might be down their top two receivers. It's been a weird year, but even despite that, they're still, what, five and two? So Alvin Kamara. Ev- I think they have a good chance to win this game, and that's without their top two receivers, possibly. I think if either one of those guys plays, if Michael Thomas plays this week, or if either or both of them play most of the rest of the season, the Saints have a pretty good chance to end up deep in the playoffs again. We'll say it every year. Now, I think this Bucks Saints game is my pick for game of the week. How about you? Oh, it's Seahawks Bills. Now, I think the Seahawks win, but I think the Bills will make it very competitive. It'll be fun. I think Russ will literally cook them. It's going to be a beautiful day up in Buffalo. It's going to be 65 and sunny with a light wind, no chance of rain. That is perfect for Russ and DK Metcalf to hook up all day long. But I also want to see what um, the quarterback of the Bills, Josh Allen, can do. It's going to be a beautiful day. He's got a rocket for an arm. He's going to be trying to keep up with Russell Wilson. And so we could have... I think at least through maybe the third quarter, a bit of a shootout. Every Seahawks game is at this point going to have to be a shootout. And they're great. They're great to watch. Like the, well, the Seahawks, the Seattle Dallas game was great. Had a great ending. The Seattle um, Arizona game was fantastic. Had Seattle a great Patriots. Ending. Seattle Patriots had a great game. That was at week one, two. It I was real it was early. Two or three. But All their games with decent conditions have been shootouts. They've been fun to watch. They've been great. I think this is my game of the week. All right. Now I want to give out the week nine toilet bowl award. We've been seeing a ton of terrible nationally televised games. Who got your toilet bowl this week, Demarcus? So it's a tough, tough choice. So there's two games with mostly teams who are irrelevant at this point. I've got the Texans at the Jags, who will also, the Jags will not be playing Gardner Minshew. He'll be on the bench. 
and and the Jets at the Patriots. Uh, okay. See, that feels wrong, but you know it's right. It feels wrong, but here's where I'm at. I do think Texans-Jags is going to be terrible, but I think we're at least interested in Jets versus Patriots because we want to see if the Patriots can start building momentum, figuring things out. We heard Belichick say, what did you expect? We sold out over the last five years to win three Super Bowls, win a fourth, and have an AFC champ, uh, be in the AFC championship. It feels like we're not sure where this team is heading, so I have some interest in what they do. For me, I'm stuck in a tough spot here between the Giants-Washington game, which we will get to see two uh, completely atrocious and terrible teams slug it out and it'll probably be a close game that's boring to watch. Or, now I know you think I'm always beating a dead horse here, DeMarcus, but Cowboys versus Steelers. And this has all the making of extreme fucking blowout. You won't want to watch after the first quarter. Definitely not after the half. Not competitive at all. Are you all starting Ben DiNucci again? They have to. Um, Cooper Rush is coming down. Well, Cooper Rush is going to get elevated to the roster from the practice squad. And Dalton apparently is on the COVID list right now. In addition to being in concussion protocol. So there's no way he's playing. COVID and concussions. Ironically, yes. COVID and a concussion. See, I might have to be Nicodemus now. I I see that one coming. You know, maybe if you start picking some stuff right, we can share the crown. We can go back and forth. Maybe it could be something that one of us wins every week. I don't know. But right now, it's it mine. This week. The crown is mine. I think I got it. Look, this if week. you're going to come for the king, you best not miss. I ain't miss yet. We're going to see about these picks this week. All right, because I know I got you on the best of the least last week. Listen, you you lucky this is a down year for my Cowboys. They're going to be all right. You're going to see. I'm a, When they're good next year. A lot year, of down years. Fuck you. <laughs> when they're good next year, I'm going to talk my shit again. On everything else, though, I've been good. Ugh, you might not get to talk your shit for a while. I'm a patient man. Mm-hmm. Maybe if y'all get Trevor Lawrence. Welcome to the final segment of our show, the heart of our show, Ballers Bouquets. Too often in the media, people only want to focus on the salacious and negative things that athletes do, and they never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. So this week, we're going to give the bouquet to a player that only balls. He is fantastic, does not get enough recognition on the field, but certainly does not have anything salacious. Some might even say he's the corniest player in the entire NFL. His name is Russell Wilson, and he's been cooking on and off the field. So this week's bouquet goes to Russell Wilson. And I got to tell you a bit of a story before we get into why he's winning this week's Ballers Bouquet. 
So I really want you to take this to heart. This is a great story. Hopefully some of you can connect with this. Just take this in. So at a young age, Russell Wilson was shaped and influenced by his father. No surprise there. Um, His father has, at this point here in 2020, passed away a little over 10 years ago. And when Russell Wilson and Ciara welcomed their child into the world this year, they named him Wynn Harrison Wilson. So the part that's going to get your attention is the fact that this child's first name is Wynn. (laughs) Ignore that. When you got money, you can do stuff like that. But the middle name is the important part for Russell. This middle name is the child is named after his father. Now, his father used to ask Russ all the time, why not you? And this mantra helped inspire Wilson to be who he is today. He was a two-sport athlete. He was a sought-after prospect in both football and baseball. He's a Super Bowl champion, seven-time Pro Bowler player, and an entrepreneur who's co-founded his own business and is the co-owner of an MLS club. Now, all that to be said, Russell Wilson's father, Harrison Wilson III, lost his life about 10 years ago due to complications from diabetes at the age of 55. Now, in the last week or few weeks of his life, he was with uh, Russ's older brother, Harry. And as they're in the car, his father, who was suffering from diabetes, had lost a leg, had a stroke, looked at his oldest son, Harry, and said, I wish I had been successful. And this was shocking for the Wilson boys because their father had an Ivy League education. He had went to law school, raised three children with his wife, had enough time to start his own law firm. Etc. He had done amazing things. Most people would consider um, Harrison Wilson III's life a success. And somehow, even right before his death, he said, I wish I had been more successful. And that kind of drive and determination is what has been driven from years and years into Russell Wilson. And so he approaches everything with the mantra, why? not you. So because of that, Russell Wilson wants to share this drive, this passion, this commitment to having big dreams with other kids. He wants kids who are underprivileged, who don't have the access to tools, supplies, etc., in order to have the ability to blossom. So he has started the Why Not You Academy. He founded this through his foundation, which is, of course, called the Why Not You Foundation. And he's going to start this public charter school, high school in Des Moines, Washington, just south of Seattle. And it's going to provide students with access to innovative and equitable education opportunities they desire. Why Not You Academy will equip today's youth to become tomorrow's leader. Now, Russell and Ciara Two of the founders of the school released a press statement that read in part, we've always held the belief that lives, successes start with a good education, but recognize that access isn't always created equally for all. The Why Not You Foundation was created with the concept of empowering youth to lead with a why not you attitude. 
And that's why it was important for our foundation to partner with Scott, Garth, and Cascade Public Schools to help open doors for kids from less fortunate backgrounds. This school is a longtime dream of ours, and it is important for us to find a way to combine traditional classroom learning with community and mentorship-based activities. In order to prepare kids for the real world, Why Not You is based on the idea that I can start with one, and our hope is that the school will be the first of many. I heard that shit's for the free 99. It is free 99. And more importantly, they want this to be not just one school, but many. And, you know, I got to say, for those fans of ours, those listeners of ours who've listened to this podcast before and heard other Ballers bouquets at this point, you know you know I love the athletes helping the underprivileged kids. And for this, Russ is trying to get up there with LeBron, right? You got to start Let your them own little school. Niggas read. Let them read. Give them innovative access to technology. All that's tough. And ask, why not you? All right, all right, all right. That's it for episode nine of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, we want to thank everyone for taking the time out of your days to listen. We appreciate each and every single one of you. We love your feedback. Let us know which coaching decisions you thought were trash and which coaching decisions you thought were cash. Hit us up on all social media platforms. At the Fly Route Pod. So, you know, just like Russell Wilson's dad and Russell Wilson himself, we got some big dreams. We got some drive. We want this podcast to be fantastic. We continue to ask for your feedback. We want your opinions. We want to know what you like, what you don't like, who your favorite teams are, etc. Let us know. Hey, if you're a team of the Raiders or you're a, or I'm sorry, a fan of the Raiders or whoever, let us know. Maybe we'll talk about your team more. Maybe we can do some creative things, talk about trade scenarios, free agents next year, etc. But we want that engagement. We want that feedback. We got big dreams. We got drive. We want to be better. You can help us reach out to us at the Fly Route Pod. The Fly Route Podcast every Friday. Do us a favor, share with a friend.